Welcome to a Wednesday night. We are going to have a fun night tonight. I get to bring a fun, exciting topic. Um, we're going to talk about the return of the king. And we're not actually talking about the like Lord of the Rings, um, but we're, we're going to talk about the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and his return. Uh, the, as, the, as I was reading in my Bible this last week, it said, uh, I was reading the translator's New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. It says, Brothers, we must talk to you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to meet him. And I just, this, we must talk to you about this, kept like ringing in my head. And I'm thinking about what am I, what am I going to share? And it just said this, we must talk about this. It says in, in Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And there's this, this picture, and in the New Testament, they were talking about this all the time. This was on their mind, that the king is returning, that Jesus said he's coming back, that the angels, when Jesus ascended into heaven, said he is going to return in the same way that he left. And there's this excitement around it for them. Someone told the church in Thessalonica that they missed it, and they were freaking out. And Paul writes to him back, and he's like, don't freak out. The Lord has not returned yet. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, the trumpet of God, and the dead will, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I got thinking about it. I'm like, this is their encouragement. That they're like sharing constantly and reminding each other. And I'm like, I don't think I hardly ever hear that in the U.S. Um, we've got things pretty good, and not very often they're like, you know, encouraging you with, you know, don't worry, he's going to return. Most of the time, we just talk about what we have and what we're doing with, with what we have. And their, their take on it was just so different. In that last, that last verse, in verse 18, or no, sorry, verse uh, 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. If you ever hear the term rapture, um, when they're referencing Jesus' return, this is where it comes from. The, word, the words caught up are the Greek words harpuzo, but in the Latin translation, it's rapture. And we just carried that Latin word into English. And so if you ever hear someone talking about, you know, the rapture, the coming of the Lord, this is where it comes from. In all these different spots where it talks about it, they used that one word, um, and often that kind of gets coined um, as when Jesus comes back for his church. But they were focusing on this, but a lot of times we don't. In fact, it was so much so that Paul looks at me and goes, in, if in this life only we have hope, we are to be most pitied above all people. He goes, if you're just thinking it's now, and I heard that, it kind of surprised me. Because I like being a Christian. Um, maybe that's because no one's getting their heads chopped off around me for being a Christian. Um, that might have a little bit to do with it. But 
as I've looked and I've gotten to, to do life with a lot of people, and as a pastor, a lot of times people come to you and normally they don't come to you and just be like, you know what, pastor, I just had to talk to you because my life is so amazing. Normally they come to you when there's a problem. And so they're like, you know what, right now I'm going through it. Can you pray with me? You're like, yeah, let's pray. What am I praying for? And then they, they start to talk about something. It amazes me how often when they're in a mess, you're like, oh, no. Then they'll, they'll tell you, I'm in a mess because I did A, B, C, and D. I mean, I remember talking to a fellow who came into the church and he wanted prayer because he hated his life. His life was horrible. And he's going through and he's like, yeah, my wife hates me. She throws frying pans at me. And he's going through this list. I'm like, wow, this sounds rough. And then as we're carrying on the conversation, I said, Mike, have you ever made Jesus the Lord of your life? He said, no, no. He'd take away all my fun. I'm like, you're having so much fun? That's why you hate your life? I'm like, what kind of fun would, would he take away? Well, I couldn't cheat on my wife. And da, da, da. I'm like, well, no wonder she's mad at you. And as I look, I'm like, God's way, it might mean you have to say no to your flesh. But as I look at things, it works out better. But Paul doesn't just say, hey, God's way smarter than you. And if you just do it his way, you'll have a better life. He looks and goes, if it's just about this life, we're to be pitied. He's like, there's so much more. This is just the setup for what God has for us. And he paints this picture. And, he, and like if, you, if you read through just First and Second Thessalonians, it comes up over half a dozen times where he just reminds them, hey, the hope that is ahead of us for when he returns. And he just, he keeps painting this because he's driving, he's living with his eyes fixed on where he's going. But if you don't see where you're going, you can end up in a massive mess. You guys all, or most of you, live here in Michigan, and so you have encountered a winter, and you've encountered probably a whiteout. Um, and if you've ever been driving down the highway after a whiteout, and you get a really good one, you occasionally see that person and you look and their car is way out on a field. And you're like, how did they get way out there? It's like the, right off the road makes sense, but you're like, you are so far off the road. But they couldn't see. They couldn't see far enough down the road. Things inside the vehicle may have been really nice. It may have been heated. They might have had heated seats. But how nice it is inside doesn't matter if they don't remember where they're going. If they can't see where they're going they're liable to end up way off in the ditch. And a lot of times, we don't look at where we're going because inside the vehicle is so nice. It's like the DVD player that's supposed to be behind the driver so that he's not watching the film. Um, like, I, I've got so many cartoons memorized because my kids watch them in the car. But if you have one ahead of you, if the driver's just enjoying it, they're going to end up in a mess. Because you have to look not at what's inside, not what's just happening right now, but you need to look at where you're going. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, it says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown? He goes, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? He goes, what is the joy that we're looking forward to? He goes, that you're going to stand in front of Jesus with me. He goes, I am, I am living right now to make sure that I can take as many people with me when he comes. And he goes, this is my joy. 
In uh, chapter 3, verse 13, he says, May he make you strong so that when our Lord Jesus comes with all those who belong to him, you may be blameless, holy in the presence of our God and Father. And he keeps painting this picture of going, we're going to live so that when he returns, we're ready. So that when he returns, we're blameless. In chapter 5, verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians, May he keep you undamaged spirit, soul, and body so that when our Lord Jesus comes, you will be blameless. And it just keeps coming up. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, um, that he goes to prepare a place for us. If he goes, that he will come and he will take us to be with him there. This isn't just something that Paul decided to make up and to write about, but this is something that Jesus taught. He said that he will return. The angels told his disciples when he ascended that he will also return in a like manner. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, uh, it says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall all be changed. It talks about how it's going to happen. As I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, so, so for Paul, this was like the hope. This was the focus. I'm like, what is it here? Because it just doesn't get talked about so much in our culture. I was like, it's, we treat it more like an airbag. Like, we know it's there for a tragedy later. You're like, you know what? Life is good and we're just going to live it as long as possible. And maybe someday if I die, um, I want to have an airbag. I want to know that I'm going to go to heaven. I want to make sure I don't go to hell. And it's just like way off cushion that we don't really want to think about. But this was their focus. And as I got looking, I'm like, well, they're focusing on it. Jesus talked about it. Paul talks about it. Jesus said that he's going to come back like a thief. First Thessalonians says, um, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I'm like, okay, so, so why does it matter that he's coming like a thief? He says, because a thief doesn't knock on the door and say, hey, can I schedule an appointment? I'd like to rob your house. Um, house next week, say 10 o'clock p.m., work for you. Lights will be off. I'll show up. I'll take everything. Like, no. They just show up. And the whole point is that Jesus said, I'm going to just show up. You need to be ready when I show up. The time is limited. You don't have forever to get ready. You don't know how long you have, but you need to live ready. And as I look at this, it just amazes me because um, a lot of us don't. There's a parable that Jesus tells he says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is going to be like ten virgins. And when he does, he says, these, these virgins are waiting for the bridegroom. And there's ten of them, and they're all waiting, and they got their lamps, and they fill them up with oil, and they, they light them, and they're hanging out, and they're waiting for his return. But he takes longer than they thought. And a bunch of them, they all kind of just start to doze off one at a time, and they all fall asleep. And then the, the watchman, who stayed awake, is like, hey, here he comes! And they, they all wake up and they wipe out the sleepies and get all ready. And they, they get their lamps trimmed up and they realize that most of them are about out of oil. But five of them were wise and brought more. So they just pour it in. And five of them, it says, were foolish and they, they didn't bring it. 
And so they look and they go, oh, I don't have enough. I'm not, I'm not ready. They go, share with us. And they go, no, we, we need this for them. You have to do it your own. So they, they take off to go get ready. And while they're taking off and they're trying to find a shop owner who's, who's open right now, the, the bridegroom shows up. He takes the five that are waiting for him and they go inside. They shut the doors. The party begins and it's awesome. And then the other five come and they knock on the door. Like, we're here, we're here, we're ready now. And he goes, I don't know you. Go away. And as I, as I read this story, it kind of surprised me. And as a, as a kid, I read it and I was like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. There's people who are right with God and, and then people who just didn't know God. And, and you know, you've got to, there's only one way. It is Jesus, so this makes sense. And then one time I was reading it and it stuck out. This wasn't everybody. This was 10 who all started waiting for him. At the beginning, they were all waiting for the bridegroom. But when the bridegroom showed up, only half were ready. And I began to, to, to look at it. I'm like, okay, so, so that, that seems like there's people who at one point were waiting for him who aren't living ready for him. They aren't waiting. They're not looking forward to his return. They're so engrossed in living for other things that they've made other things their masters. And when he returns, they will not be be ready, and they won't go with him. And I'm like, okay, so this is, this is crazy. And then I looked at another, and Jesus, again, this is Matthew 25, and he, he goes, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and he, he talks about that the king will return, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep on one side, the goats on the other, and he's going to go down, he's going to say to the sheep, he's going to say, ah. Say, oh, well done. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And he goes through this massive list of things and says, when, when this happened, you were there and you did this and you did this. And they get down, they go, when did we do that? He says, when you did it to the least of these. And then he goes to the other side, uh, to the goats, and he says, I was hungry I was cold, I was naked. And he goes through the same list. And you left me hungry, you left me cold, you didn't clothe me. You... And he goes through this and they're like, when did we see you like this? And he goes, what you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And then what shocked me is at this point, everybody recognized him as king. Nobody looked and was like, I don't believe in you. You're a figment of my imagination. This is a dream. Like, that's not there. You see, everybody recognizes you are the king. You are the creator. We're going to give an account to you. But it was too late. It was too late to go, oh, yeah. You know what? I should have made you the Lord of my life. That would have been a really good idea. Can I do that now? I believe. I'm going to bow my knee now. He, he separates them, and the score's already final. The game is over. The test is turned in. I don't know if you ever had this in, in school or in college where they have you fill out a, a test or a quiz, 
And then they say, all right, take the test, pass it over a person. All right, now we're going to grade them. And you're sitting here and you're starting to grade them and the, the teacher's telling you what the right answers are and you, you go to check it and then you're like, oh, I got that one wrong. And like you want to change your answer, but it's, it's too late. You already submitted it. It's now over. And, and as I look at this, I realize that our time is not without end. Like we get to spend forever somewhere, but we have a chance to live ready. We have a chance to get ready before he returns. But eventually he's going to come back or we're going to die. One way or the other, says, uh, some will fall asleep, but we'll all be changed. And I, and I begin to look at this. I'm like, okay, so, so I don't have forever. How long do I have? Because it's very common that when we're young, it'll be just like, you know what? I'm going to do things, I'm going to live the way I want, and someday when I'm older, I'm going to get things straight. I'm going to get things right. But you're not guaranteed many, many years. And even if you are guaranteed, if I could promise you that there will be no car accident, that there'll be no tragedy of any kind, you still don't know when he's going to return. You don't know. In fact, when... When he's talking about it in Luke, Jesus is talking. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And this is what it says. You may not get any more warnings. You may look and someone may go, here's a sign. But these guys were just going about normal business. And then that which was, was spoken of all of a sudden came upon them. We have been told that he's going to return. And you might not get any more warning. He could come back tonight. He might interrupt my sermon. He, he, he might come back tomorrow. He might not come back for years. But this idea that his return could come at any point is important for us to know. And yes, living ready for his return, it does mean laying aside those weights that so, so, could so easily entangle us as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12. And it means that we don't let money become our, our master. It means that we don't let lust become our master. And it, it means there's a lot of things that we say, you know what, I'm not going to live a selfish life for me. I'm going to live a life for God. And there's... Um, it can... It, it, Sometimes when you start talking about this, people are like, you're just trying to scare people. If you need scared, be scared. But there's more to it than that. It's not like, if I love you and I think you're going to run into a wall, I'm going to tell you. So there's a side that if you're not ready, by all means, I will give you an opportunity before I'm done to make him your Lord and to get ready. But there's a whole other side of this. Because being ready for his return isn't just going, I know I'm not going to go to hell. That is a great, like, starting point. But there is so much more. See, when Paul talked about this, he wasn't just going, hey, um, these are just things for you not to do. He's talking about what things you should do. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. 
It says, do not store up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a parable that Jesus tells that confused me for a lot of years. Weird. In my opinion, it's the weirdest of his parables or stories. I don't know if this one's a parable or a story that had happened that people around him knew, but my only encounter with it is Jesus talking about it. He says there's a rich guy. And the rich guy has got an accountant who works for him who apparently wasn't doing a very good job. And so the master calls the accountant. He says, hey, it's time for you to give an account of the books. Um, I want to know where everything's at before I let you go. And he looks and he's like, oh, crud. I'm in trouble. He's like, I'm too weak to dig and I'm, I'm too proud to beg. What am I going to do? And he's like, God, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What can I do? What can I do? Well, right now, I'm in charge of all of my master's money. So he calls up somebody who owes his master money. He's like, hey, what's your debt? And the guy's like, mm, 80 bushels of that. He goes, write down 40. You now owe him 40. And he starts calling in all of these different debtors and just chopping their debts apart. And when the, the master comes, he goes, all right, no. And he, he sees what the steward did. And it was deceitful. It was, it was um, stealing. But it was brilliant. He looks and he goes, what you did was wrong. But he commends him for being shrewd. He goes, you looked ahead. And you took what you had today and you used it to set your future up. And then he's, Jesus ends it and says that oftentimes the people of this world are more shrewd than those in the kingdom. And he goes, he took today and he set up tomorrow. And Jesus turns and tells us, take today to set up for tomorrow. Store up treasures in heaven. And a lot of times people, people say that. They're like, you need to live ready for his return. And a lot of times people will go, yeah, what does that mean? Like, how do I live ready? How do I get ready? How do I store up treasure in heaven? I want to store up treasure. What does that mean? What does that look like? How can I do that? And in reality, it's simple. Jesus sits here and he says that you can't give a cup of cold, he says you give a cup of cold water to someone in his name and he notices and rewards you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says that in order, uh, you must have faith to please God. You have to believe that he exists and that he's a diligent rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, to put on like level, like you have to believe that I am. Like that makes, that, that's pretty important. If you don't believe that God is, is you're not going to have a relationship with him. And he goes, the next thing you need to believe is that I want to reward. And he puts this as part of who he is. And it's, it's not like he's up here going, if you are absolutely perfect, I will reward you. No, he goes, will you be my hands and feet? I want to reward you. 
Can you show somebody my love? Can you help somebody who's hurting? Can you be there? When he, in Matthew 25, he said, can you clothe somebody who needs clothes? Can you visit somebody in prison? Can you visit somebody who needs a visit? Can you take care of a widow? Can you take care of an orphan? Can you stand up for somebody who needs someone to stand up for them? Can you help feed somebody who needs food, who's struggling? Can you give somebody a ride? We've got all sorts of ministries here. I just jotted a few of them down. And some of you guys are like, I don't know. I want to I wanna live ready. I want... I want to use what I have today in order to store up treasure in heaven. I want, I want to know that those things are ready for me when Jesus returns. Um, we've got a food pantry that, that helps feed the hungry. If you're like, I want to feed those that are in need. I want Jesus to look at me and to say, I was hungry and you gave me a bag full of food. We've got a food pantry. You can... Um, you can, when you're throwing something in the bucket, you can write, hey, I want this to go to the food pantry. You can help there. There's spots to volunteer to help make sure that people get stuff. We've got a benevolence, uh, a team of deacons that look over our benevolence so that we can help those that are, that are in need. And you can, go, you can sow things into that. We've got the Dream Center that's downtown that's ministering to people downtown that's helping with beds and food and all sorts of different things to people down there. Streetlight. Another ministry that, that we partner with that's, that's ministering to people that are downtown Grand Rapids that need help. A lot of them are, um, are not the best situations. Grand Rapids Family Promise is an awesome organization that helps homeless families get off the street. Families that are homeless have a lot of different dynamics a lot of times than single people that are homeless. And they've, they've got an awesome ministry trying to put them back together. Safe Families it's another great ministry that helps keep kids out of foster care. It takes families that, that have a need and, and helps them out, whether it's like, hey, it's a single mama and she needs surgery and she's not going to be able to take care of being in the hospital for a while and then she's got a recovery. What's going to happen to her kids? She doesn't have a, a mom that's nearby. And they take them and they go, all right, here, we'll, we'll make sure that someone takes care of your kids while you're getting surgery or while you're going into rehab or while you're getting um, a job so that you can pay for childcare, but you can't go to the interview with your baby. So let me watch the kids while you go to do interviews and get this job and get some money so you can pay for childcare and get on your feet. Let us help you. We've got uh, War Women at, for Women at Risk. It's just down the street and they've got an awesome organization trying to help rescue ladies from sex trafficking. Res supports missionaries and orphanages all over the world that you can be a part of when you're, you're sewing in here. Um, if you're looking to sponsor kids, IPF is an awesome foundation, the International Promise Foundation for sponsoring kids. They've got an orphanage in Bangladesh. I mean, these are, these are a few of the organizations that you can partner with. If you're looking for ideas of places to partner, if you're going, hey, I want to use the money that I'm making in order to make a difference for eternity. But you, it doesn't take an organization. If you say, hey, I, I don't have any money, but I have some time. Res Kids is full of kids. <laughs> what, how amazing is that? Res Kids is full of kids and they need people who will show them the love of Jesus. I don't think there's any department in church that doesn't need more people so that they can have a greater impact. All of them go, hey, we wish we could connect more people and that we could get them connected, we could get them serving and we could reach out further with them. There's, there's, there's spots here that you can hook up your time you can go out and there are people that have need and you, sometimes that looks like um, something big and helping them out. And I've 
whether it's pushing somebody who got stuck in the middle of the road, or whether that's seeing that cashier that, that's you're like, hey, how are you? And they're like, my head just hurts. Oh, can I pray for you? I did that to uh, a cashier at Costco a couple weeks ago, and it just like totally blew them away. You know, I just figured this was normal, and you're like, oh, your head hurts. Can I pray for you? And they're like, like now? Yeah. Sure. I prayed for her. I get done, and she's like ringing up. It's Costco, so there's lots of stuff to ring up. And then she's like, thank you. And it was cool because it wasn't like this massive, grand thing. It's not standing on a stage. It's just going, hey, I love Jesus, and he lives in me, and it's my job to show the rest of the world the love that he showed me. And if I can do that, he said that he took, he takes notice. And he told us that we are supposed to store up treasure in heaven. He goes, when you're doing good deeds for other people to see you, that's a wrong motive. But doing things so that he sees is honorable. He goes, do things because when you do, it honors me. When you live to please God, when you serve to please God, when you elevate and when you encourage, when you strengthen other people, it sets us up. Sometimes we go and we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Some of it's going to be hard. Some of it's going to be inconvenient. My wife and I were, were looking and we started doing some, some of the stuff with safe families and we ended up with, um, I've already got four kids and then we ended up with an extra two-year-old for a while and with these different things and some people were like, isn't that hard? Isn't that inconvenient? You're like, yes, yes, actually it is. It is inconvenient. But since when is that a qualifier? Since when is my convenience what's supposed to guide my life? If I was to look and give you a really gross job, I don't know, let's just say we found the nastiest toilets in all of Grand Rapids, and I asked you to clean them. Most of you would look at me and go, no, that's gross. But if I turned around and said, somebody made a mess of these, but that's okay, they offered us a million dollars cash for whoever would clean them. You guys would line up like crazy, and it would be like a battle going, I'm going to clean the crap. I want to clean the crap. But why? You're like, I want the million dollars. You're like, yes, it's gross, it's, but, but, but it's a million dollars. And you'd look and you'd go, it's inconvenient. It's a pain. I think it's disgusting. I might even throw up, but I'm going to get a million dollars, and it's way worth it because the prize outweighs the inconvenience. And he looks and goes, the prize is way going to outweigh the inconvenience. He goes, will you be ready? He says, blessed is the servant who the master finds doing what he said when he returns. And I want to challenge you because you guys are at different, different, different levels. You're at different spots. Some of you guys may be in here and you're like, you know what? When you talk about being ready, if, if Jesus was to come back today, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that he would take me. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. And in just a moment, you can know. And others of you go, no, I know that Jesus' blood has paid for my sins and I have declared him to be the Lord of my life. But I don't know that I've given anything, if I've stored up anything. I want to challenge you. Some of you guys say, I did. I stored up a lot of things, but it's been a while. I want to encourage you that this life 
It's preparation. Make the most of it. Store things up. 